What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Nation? We are back again with another episode, and I'm excited about this one because we're going to learn one of the biggest skills that you can in life, and that is embracing fear. And this is something that we all deal with. It doesn't matter your level of success. Everyone has some type of fear. Everyone has something that they're trying to overcome. And so we have one of the world's biggest experts when it comes to embracing fear. Without further ado, help me welcome my friend, Mr. Akshay Nanavati to the show. Akshay, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? What's going on, Dream Nation? Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. Man, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Now, I always like to make sure we give the proper introduction. And I say all the time that I think of us as entrepreneurs as Mm. just like superheroes. And why is because we're constantly putting on a cape. We're trying to fly around the world and solve problems, whether that be ours or other people's. And I think that you have been someone that's been all around the world, been featured mm-hmm. in many publications, Forbes, Inc., Fast Company, Entrepreneur. It's been an amazing journey for you. But I always like to take it back. Before all of the thousands of people that you've helped, tens of thousands of people, let's take it back to when you were just a young boy and tell mm-hmm. me who is Akshay Nanavati. Yeah, you know, when I was young, I was born in India. So I lived in uh, Bombay, Bangalore, then Singapore, moved to Austin at 13 years old. So I had moved around a lot. And so when I was young, I was not one of those people who, you know, when they're seven years old, selling lemonade stand kind of thing. Like I was not a born entrepreneur. I had no clue what I wanted to be, who I wanted to be, what my path was. Very lost, like kind of because all the move and I take responsibility, but you know, as a young child, you're very impressionable to the external environment. So I moved around a ton from all these places. And I moved to the US when I was 13. Hmm. And it was moving, it was soon after moving here that I kind of got into a really dark space, got heavily into drugs, heavily into alcohol. I used to cut myself, burn myself. I still have these scars on my arm. 
just in this really, really, really dark world, lost two friends to that lifestyle, was heading down that path myself. And that coming out of that is what kind of led me to everything I am now, because coming out of that world is when I joined the Marines. Mm-hmm. I overcame, I overcame like I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in Marine Corps boot camp. So I had to kind of fight my way into the Marines because I have, I have scoliosis, I have flat feet, I got all kinds of genetic flaws that I was blessed with uh, that I have to kind of overcome to fight my way into the Marines. And through that is when I started to find and really become, you know, to your point about the entrepreneur being a superhero, like become in the Marines, I learned how to suffer. I learned how to struggle. I learned how to engage fear. I learned how to confront my own demons and battle and keep fighting forward. And that's what ultimately led me to who, who I am now. Obviously had some few kinks in the way, but that was the starting point. Man, I love it. I love how you've been able to overcome. Talk to me about what was your biggest struggle looking back at it? Because you've obviously now had an incredible journey and you've mm-hmm. been able to help a lot of people, but it wasn't all roses, just like you said, and you had a lot of kinks and a lot so of flaws. Yeah. What was that biggest struggle that you can look back on and say, wow, this this was something that it really took me a while to overcome? Yeah. You know, when I came, so after joining the Marines, I was deployed to Iraq as an infantry non-commissioned officer. Had some pretty intense, I mean, it's a war zone, so life is intense out there. One of my jobs was actually to walk in front of our vehicles looking for bombs before they could be used to kill me and my fellow Marines. Wow. It's a pretty intense job out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you learn how to confront fear. You learn how to thrive in the face of adversity, right? I right. Mean, it's war zone for seven months. But like that was not the hardest by any stretch of the imagination. I was, I was, I mean, I was volunteering to go to Iraq. I was waiting for it. So when I got out there, I was done. Like it's my time. Let's bring it. You know, this is, this is what I've been waiting for. But right. the toughest battle was after coming back home. When I came back home, I had lost a friend of mine in the war before I even left. I lost a couple of junior Marines to suicide after the war. And just coming back, I felt like I hadn't I hadn't suffered enough. I hadn't done enough to earn my place on this planet. I mean, I didn't get shot in the war. I didn't lose any limbs. So why do why do I get to come back? Why do I get to be happy? Why do I get to be alive? You know? Huh. And so I I kept volunteering to go back to war. I was like, send me back to Iraq, send me back to Afghanistan, send me somewhere. I just want to go back. I couldn't handle life in this quote unquote, normal world, you know? Right. And, and so the demons started to rise soon after, like at this point I had stopped doing drugs. I stopped drugs since high school, but the alcohol, like I was drinking and, you know, as a college student, you don't think of it as a problem, you know, partying in weekends, whatever, but it got to a point that I, I mean, over the years, I got to a point that I would be, I would be drinking like a bottle of vodka a day. I mean, just drinking till I pass out, waking up and then drinking again for five, six days on end until literally my body could not take it anymore. And one morning after like five days of this binge drinking session, I just, I was about to walk over to my uh, kitchen, pick up a knife and slit my own wrist because I just thought this will never end. And that was like rock bottom. That was kind of rock bottom for me to be in that space that I actually was seconds away from even from taking my own life. You know, and even this is a thought that entered my mind, shocked me. So that's when I really started to know that something had to change. You know, because I mean, at this point, I have been doing the drinking thing, but every time I would go through five, six days, I would then sober up and be like, all right, I'm good now. You know, I'm going to soap, I'm going to, I'm going to stay clean and then maybe go for a few weeks and then boom, fall right back into the pit. You know, right. that was, that was the hardest, uh, hardest part. And truth, truth be told, though, I did break my sobriety uh, after that as well. So, you know, I went through a journey. It wasn't a smooth climb out of the abyss. It wasn't like one aha. I don't like a lot of that stuff when they're like one aha moment and life magically changes. That's not how it works. Right. You got to fight and the battle is relentless, man. So I, I did, you know, I, I changed, I sobered up, but then like I went through a really challenging divorce 
couple of years ago now. Yeah, about two years ago now. And that was really hard. And I ended up breaking my sobriety again. And when I break, like everything I do, I do pretty hard. So when I I drink, I drink hard. When I run, I run hard. But, you know, so I broke again. But thankfully, I went into some deeper spaces to really figure out what's going on within. And now, I mean, I could not be in a better space. Mind, body, spirit, business, everything. So been a journey, man. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it. And I want to dive into that a little bit more if you don't mind. Absolutely. The first thing I want to know is, as you are, you know, going through this deep, deep depression, what is your environment like? Because a lot of people, and there's two parts to this, a lot of people, they are going through that same deep, deep depression, and for whatever reason, but they say, okay, well, if he had someone that could basically pick him out of that, or he had a big enough why or whatever, that's what he had. So did you have that? Did you have, was your wife by your side at this time? Mm -hmm. Or was your environment basically a lot of other people were drinking? So it felt easy to drown your sorrows in this pain. Great question. You know, for me, my triggers were never being around other people. Like I could, even when I sobered up, I even when I, when I broke, like I could be around a room with everybody drinking, not 1%, not even 0.1% desire to drink. My trigger was being alone. So my demons were always being alone. So even when I was married and I was drinking, what would happen is my, my wife had always been the kind of person to go to bed early. I was, I was always like a late, like even when I wrote my book, I would write at night, you know? So what happened is she'd go to bed. And then while we were hanging out, at this point, I'd be, you know, while we're drinking together, drink a few beers, but under my closet, I would hide the, a bottle of vodka in the bathroom, you know, hiding these bottles everywhere. And then when she'd go to bed, that's when I'd really start drinking heavy, you know? And, and then, or if she traveled to India to visit family, then I would just go all out, you know? And so... I had a positive environment in that when I when I started to change, like after hitting that really rock bottom, I didn't tell my wife at the time that where like where my mind was, I was just too sh- like ashamed, you know, yeah. too, they felt too much shame, too much embarrassment to tell her that later on, eventually I did, I, I just told her where I was going through when I slipped back after that moment. And then so, you know, that was it was kind of I had, thankfully, like she was very supportive. She was a loving person, really cared about me. And, and a lot of it, though, had to be like me going within and confronting my own demons. Because mm. what, what, like when we're doing those things, when we're struggling with depression, with, with alcoholism, you know, at that, it's hard to know your why at that moment. When you're in the pit, and this is something I, when, I, when I now work with others, is when you're deep in the pit, you don't want to hear about how awesome life is for all these other people. It's right. not inspirational. It only makes you feel worse about yourself. Right. And that's, and I, and I get like, I get like people who come to me now is, Hey, my, my son, my wife, my daughter, whatever, they're struggling with this, that, and the other thing. How do I help them? And they try to help them by sharing these inspirational stories. But at that moment, it doesn't help. It just makes you feel worse about yourself, hmm. you know? And this was this interesting thing. So at that point, I didn't really have a why. I just had to climb out. Like if you look at zero being, I'm on the verge of suicide, 10 being, you know, master of life, everything great. When you're going from zero to three is very different than going from three to seven, which is different from going from seven to nine, you know? So from that zero place, I just had to disassociate myself with the patterns in my brain. I had to learn to become okay with my demons. So I'll I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So when I, when I came back, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Now I had symptoms like I was jumpy with loud noises. I did not like being in crowds. So like I hated going to New York City because crowds were, you know, hypervigilant. I felt survivor's guilt. Now, all these things people told me were symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. But as I started researching, what I learned was these were very normal human responses to war. I mean, my brain, I, I spent seven months in a war zone where my brain learned to say loud noises equal death. So obviously, I was hyper alert. It wasn't a disorder. It was a normal human response to an experience like war. So right. by removing the word disorder, I certainly started to say, you know what? 
There's nothing wrong with me. These are normal human responses. I got to go into these spaces. I got to become okay with it instead of fighting my demons, instead of like acknowledging my survivor's guilt, you know, not trying to run away from it. So for a long time, actually, I had a picture of my friend that I lost in the war up on my wall. And it said, this should have been you earn this life. Wow. Now that's an intense thing to look at. Absolutely. Very intense thing to look at. But the point is everybody kept telling me, don't feel guilty. Like rationally, I get it. You can go to war. You can't control who lives and dies in war. Right. Right. It's the nature of war. Rationally, I get it. But emotionally, it doesn't change the fact that the guilt is there. So everybody said, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. And I get it. It was coming from a place of love. But the reality is the guilt is a normal expression of love. So instead, Mm. I learned to reframe my guilt. I learned to make my demons work for me instead of trying to run away from them. And that's what the whole ethos of Firavana is, is to fall in love with our demons, to fall in love with suffering, to fall in love with pain, to fall in love with fear, because they're not bad. They're not the enemy. But we live in a world that demonizes it, right? We said stress right. is bad, anxiety is bad, be fearless, don't uh, like overcome fear. It's like, no, man, these things are part of life. It's you what you do with it, it that matters. Exactly. Exactly. I got it, man. I love it. Now, at what point do you feel like because now you're going through so many different things and you're trying to embrace it. At what point did you feel like that you were in that stage of seven to 10 where you were like, listen, I got this. Because for a lot of people, they don't really know if they're in a relapse. They have so much uncertainty that's going on. They don't know how to recognize is the best way to put it, where they are in their journey. Was there any moment that you said, wow, I did just conquer or accomplish Mm -hmm. this. I got it. Yeah. You know, when I started, when I first was in that low space and just coming out, first I had to confront my demons. I had to disassociate myself from my brain patterns. And this is really important because when we're in that space, you know, we start to say things like, I am depressed, I have depression, or I have PTSD. It becomes our self-identity. And that's the big flaw because then we say that, that that becomes who we are. Like I was the suicidal alcoholic. That's why I never like to say, and look, if it works for some people using that label, I'm an alcoholic, great. Like I know AA does that. I never said that. I'm not going to label myself that. Like I'm an alcoholic. So what I learned to do was disassociate myself from my emotions. Once I started doing that, now I can start you know, getting from that zero to three, zero to four and say, okay, cool. I'm better now. Now what? So that's when I started writing the book. So suddenly now you start getting clear on your why, right? So ultimately at the, at the core forces of human behavior is the need to avoid pain and the desire to gain pleasure. That's right. at the core is everything we do, right? Now the need to dis- avoid pain is a stronger force. We're going to do more psychologically to avoid pain than to gain pleasure. A lot of research on this stuff that are fascinating studies. So when you're in pain, first, you just got to get out of pain, like forget about looking at pleasure, right? I just needed to get out of that. So disassociating right. myself started. And then when I said, okay, you know what? I'm figuring some stuff out because I was delving deep into neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, into personal development, into learning my own patterns, learning how we, how as human beings, how we can confront suffering. And so my why then became writing this book, sharing my message of fear of honor, because obviously I'm not the only person who suffered. Everybody's right. navigating our demons in our own way. And what I came to realize that was that most people, how we approach mental health, how we approach uh, suffering and pain is deeply flawed. And so I had to share what I was learning. Like I'm not a trained uh, psychologist or anything like that, but I would argue I've read more than enough books, not to mention have experienced it to like to validate that to like to 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 and and so that's what I did. I, I had to start sharing it, and then once I started sharing it, wrote the book. You know, then 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 I start now. You have a why. You have something to move forward to. 
you know, something to aim for. And soon it started becoming better and better and you build patterns over time. And like I said, you know, then I broke my sobriety. So I was like, all right, something's still missing. What, what, what is it? What do I got to do? So I, I, again, a person I am, I do everything to the extreme. So right. what I did to go deep within is I spent seven days in a darkness retreat. After I broke my sobriety, I went into a darkness retreat because I was like, something's still missing. So I need to go deep within. And so I spent seven days, 24 seven in pitch darkness, nothing to do, nowhere to go, nowhere outside myself to run and just to go within. And so going inside, I found some new answers as to what the problem might have been as to who, who, like why I was still struggling with certain areas. Now today I'm in a damn good space, but does that mean like low moments don't hit me? No, they still hit me. Like they still hit me. But today I'm in such a good space that when it hits me, I can immediately say, cool. Like I'm, I can say I am not my brain. I can, I literally, I mean, I sound like a crazy person. If somebody, if there was a camera watching me, I look like I'm out of my mind because I'm talking to my brain. Like I'm saying to my brain, look, I am not you. I don't care what you do. Because, and that's the thing, that's the disassociating, right? Now I've built that skill over time. It took skill, like anything, you have to train it. Right. You have to master that skill. Otherwise it feels real. So like one of the most important things I always share when I, when I share these concepts with people is that we are not our thoughts. We are not our feelings. We are not our experiences. We are the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings and the experiencer of our experiences. So there is a space between what is and who we choose to be outside of what is. So right now, like some thought could enter my mind, some demon could enter my mind. I'm like, cool, great. You're not defining me. I'm not, you know, I I don't care what shows up here. I know who I am. I know what my path is. I know what my mission is. And that's what defines me. Man, I love it. And that's huge because a lot of the times we do get so caught up in our feelings and that obviously affects the way that we respond to so many things. And I often say there's one of the great stories of the kings, the great king and his horse. And uh, basically it talks about who knows what's good or what's bad. Right. A lot of the times we just attach emotion to something. And Mm. if you just change your perspective, change the lens on something, it can be looked at as a good thing, as a positive. And so for you, as you've experienced this journey, one of the things that I think about a lot of the times is people right now, they have so much fear and that fear then turns into regret. Was there ever a time that you really had to propel because you regretted not doing something, right? That could have been a positive, like starting a business or something else that then you looked at it and you say, I regret this decision because I allowed fear to basically overtake my mindset. Mm. Was there ever a time like that for you? Did regret ever have anything to do with it? Or was it really just getting out of that painful spot? Uh, great question. You know, like I don't now, like I've already, I've obviously made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've been far from perfect, right? But I don't have any regrets per se. Like the re- one regret I always feel is that I wish I had gone to war earlier with my friend because there was a whole thing like I didn't end up going till three years after joining the Marines and uh, there was some factors that came in play but nothing I can do now to change it so now I look at what's my war now like what's my fight now so uh, in terms of though using fear and regret like when I was writing my book for example you know procrastination came up writing writing a book is freaking hard so (laughs) there were days where I would like I would go run a marathon to just avoid writing my book do anything to avoid the writing you know so Mm. I was I was it took me a little while I mean other than procrastination there was obviously a lot of research that went into I read like hundreds of books it was also very cathartic like confronting my own demons while writing my book but 
navigating, like tapping into fear as fuel. Like, and that's what I was doing. That's what finally allowed me to finish my book was imagining myself dying, never having shared my message. And that to me was more scary than the fear of writing the book. Cause there is fear writing a book. I mean, when writing, I mean, I was writing a book on fear, but it was scary. I'm scared. Is it going to be bad? Is it going to like, are people going to hate it? Or is it going to, am I going to get that dreaded one-star review on Amazon? Is nobody going to buy it? What are people going to think? All that stuff, you know, but that's the thing, both fears, the fear of the thing you are pursuing and the fear of inaction have their place. And you got to consciously with awareness this like tap into both spheres. You know, what if I don't take action? What does that mean? And I like imagining myself dying, never having shared my message was terrifying. Like today to this day, I'm scared of death and I hold on to it. I have a picture up in my living room of the tombstone where my friend died and it said, you will die soon. So every day I'm like reminding myself that death is coming. You better be ready, brother. Like you better be ready. You know, that you, that's like me talking to myself. I said, you better be ready. That death is coming. So you, are you going to put in the work? And it's not like live every day like it's your last because I think that's nonsense because if it was like working on a business is hard. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I would rather not do that if today was my last day. But it's more staying present that death is coming. So you need to put in the work. Like imagine if you had not, imagine if you died never having shared this message. So that fear allowed me to write my book. And then also engaging the fear of what if I write a bad book, right? So I always like to say that fear propels you to prepare. If you engage the fear, it, you can use it as a source of preparation. So, okay, so I'm scared of writing a bad book. What do I do? What's the worst case scenario? What, what's going to happen? How do I prepare for that worst case scenario? So because I was scared, I studied from authors who had written great books, authors like Jack Canfield, the Chicken Soup with a Soul author, you know, studied from him. How did yeah. you write a better book? And as a result, I must have trashed, I mean, I kid you not, over 100,000 words worth of work which is a lot of months worth of work. Right. But as a result, I wrote a book that now I'm truly proud of. I know it's making a positive difference. I've gotten enough feedback endorsed from the Dalai Lama, stuff like that. But because I was scared, my fear allowed me to write a better book. If I wasn't scared, I would have just wrote something and put it out there. You know, My right. fear allowed me, and same thing with my business. I'm terrified in, in where I'm going with my business. I'm terrified in most things I do, like running ultra marathons. A few weeks ago, I ran 50 miles around a cul-de-sac in my neighborhood. Even before doing it, I was like terrified because I knew it's going to be a miserable ordeal. <laughs> right. You know, going into darkness. Everything I do is absolutely terrifying. But that's what makes it so worthwhile. And so I engage the fear and recognize at this point, I'm very well trained in fear. You know, I've done it over many years. I do a lot of crazy things, a lot of intense things. So I'm, when it shows up, I'm not unfamiliar with it. I'm very used to it. I'm like, cool. It's, it's there, you know, <laughs> got it. <laughs> but I know that if I don't take action, where that's going to get me. I love it. Talk to me about, because something that keeps coming up in my mind is the fact of how you correlate fear with discipline. Because I feel like for you, you've been able to be very disciplined, not only with suppressing those small voices in your mindset, but mm -hmm. also with understanding for a lot of people, if they're going through uh, some type of deep depression to try to go into somewhere for even three days of a dark place, right? And cutting everything off. A lot of people don't have that discipline. Do you feel like it was only the military that gave you that because that helped build your foundation? Or do you feel like somebody else can develop that discipline no matter where they are right now in life? Anybody can absolutely develop it. Like, in fact, when I came out of the military, it was another, it's almost another extreme. And this happens to a lot of people in the military because you come out of such a disciplined, structured life that you want to take a 180. Now, screw discipline. I'm just going to do all, you know, like I don't want to have a wake up time. I'm going to go all out the other extreme. And I did. I mean, the drinking, everything, right? So it had to be cultivated over time. So you start very small. Like wherever you're at, start. I mean, I wasn't this kind of person doing this. When I was a kid, I was terrified of Ferris wheels. 
let alone the things I do now, like a Ferris wheel, which is absurd, right? That's not scary, but I was terrified of everything. So it took a while to get here. So you can absolutely cultivate it. And the way you do that, you know, start small and you want to start creating, essentially thinking about it, think about it this way, like creating rules in your life to follow so that when you, when you follow these rules, you don't have to exercise cognitive or physical energy. So what I mean by that, I'll give you an example. I have a morning routine that I follow that's just a checklist on my phone. It's a checklist. I just follow it. I don't have to think. I just follow the checklist. I wake up at the same time, go to bed at the same time. My morning meal is the same meal. So as much as possible, and this is why you see people like uh, Zuckerberg or Barack Obama, they wear the same suits and stuff like that because they don't want to think about what they have to wear. They call it like decision fatigue, right? So you, every, every area of my life, as much as possible, I create systems. I create structures. I create rules. Then I just follow it. I don't have to think. I just follow it. And so that way I'm saving my energy for the battle. Like the work requires cognitive energy when I'm copywriting or something like that. That takes a lot of cognitive thought. So I right. want to save my energy, my, my, my fuel for the fight ahead, whether it be the, the writing on my computer or going on a run that requires physical energy, you know, the, the harder things. So starting point, if you're, if you're starting off like completely undisciplined, you know, start somewhere, get a morning routine, practice right. that, you know, just, just start. And then from there, you'll take it to the next step. I used to struggle with sleep for a long time for multiple reasons, stuff from the war just have been, you know, like a struggle with insomnia. So my sleep pattern was all kinds of messed up for a long time. And only then I had to practice. So one thing at a time, I would always look at, okay, what's the one gap to fix? And this is, this is really key is always be, always be focusing on one gap at a time. And it's important. Like there's a, it's not a bad thing to have problems. Good. It's a good thing to have problems because all growth is ultimately two things. Find the problem, fix the problem, find what's working and do more of it. All growth is those two things. So every single time I'm looking for what's the one problem to fix? What's the one problem to fix? What's the one problem to fix? And, and, and progress is not the elimination of problems. Progress is the creation of new problems. So wow. don't, don't look for that moment where problems will magically end. People think that, right? They think when I get there, when I get the million dollars, when I get the relationship, when I get the house, when I get, then my problems will be gone. It will not be gone. I'm going to tell you that right now, it will not be gone. And that's not a bleak message. It's an encouraging message if you develop a positive relationship to problems. Because it's only, on the, it's only in the battle for overcoming a problem that you attain the next stage of your growth. If life was all sunshine and rainbows, you're never going to grow. You know what I mean? You've got to go into the problem. You've got to go into the fight to attain that next growth. So right. always be looking for that problem to look for the next awakening. Hey, what's up, Dream Builder? Have you been getting any value out of this episode? Would you like to get more exclusive content just like this delivered right to your inbox? If so, head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com and you can sign up for the email list and that will give you access to exclusive content and more interviews just like this that's going to be delivered only to our tribe. So head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. At what point did you really start to go after your dreams? Because you talked about writing this book. You've talked about writing these mm -hmm. marathons, things like that. And so it seems like you always had these dreams. At what point did you really start to go after your dream? And was there something that pushed you to say, listen, not only am I going to get out of the pain, not only am I not yeah. going to live status quo, but I'm going to reach for something to try to impact millions yeah. of lives. It's only been like about two, three years now that I've been this clear on my path. For a long time, you know, after joining the Marines, I was, I was, I climbed mountains, I was skiing across polar ice caps, skydiving, scuba diving. I was planning on becoming like a sponsored at no, well, at one point I wanted to go career Marines. 
that kind of plan changed. Then I was planning on becoming a sponsored athlete. That kind of plan changed. I was going to go become a war journalist. That plan changed when I went my wife, you know, that's not exactly conducive to a healthy relationship being a war journalist. So I, it, I kind of was constantly figuring out what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And then when I met my wife, you know, I was trying to get a more normal job just to, so I'm not off like going into war zones and stuff. And that's what led me deep into personal development, healing myself. So when I, when I started coming into the path, like the, 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 the idea of Fearvana, wrote that book, that's when soon I was like, all right, you know, this is it because I, I, I live that message and I love it. Like I love going to do intense things like skiing. Again, I still do it. I'm not, you know, like I said, running the ultra marathon, all this kind of stuff, skiing and polar ice caps. And I love helping people navigate suffering. Like if my mission is to inspire, empower and train our human family to transcend suffering in order to live their own personal legend. So that's kind of what I want to do. So after writing the book, and even then I still wasn't extremely clear what it was then to then then after the book that started to pave the way to get clarity on now it's like now i know exactly what i'm doing and what i'm doing now is the goal is to build this massive global fearvana empire if you will kind of what like richard branson built with virgin yeah you know, like the virgin empire but i'm like virgin i'm not looking to necessarily get into like mobile or airplane or stuff like that staying in the space of well-being so we're talking about creating like a fearvana academy fearvana fitness fearvana festivals fearvana retreats i have my own nonprofit called the fearvana foundation we're launching a fearvana clothing line fearvana foods a whole ecosystem to help people master their mind body spirit and their craft and that only got clear after like writing Fearvana. So to anybody listening, you know, some people have that, they know their answer. Like I have one friend who knew she wanted to be a grandmaster at chess when she's seven years old, you know, like some people have that. And that's great. If you got it. Awesome. If you don't, it's also okay. Take a step forward. It's like when you're driving through fog, you know, when you're driving through fog, you can't see one mile down the road, but as you go further and further, the fog starts to clear. So right. you want to keep going and then it's fog starts to clear. And now it's like, okay, now I know everything. I mean, it could not be more clear now, but it took a long time to get here. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I love that. And that was what I wanted to get to because for so many people, they, they want to have that clarity up front. And yeah. obviously that's become mainstreamed now, right? Like the number one thing you got to do is you got to have complete clarity. Well, for a lot of people, they don't know because they haven't experienced a lot of things. Like you said, you were doing all these other things. So not only did it teach you what you loved, but it taught you what you didn't love and exactly. ultimately it was able to be like okay if I look back on my last five to seven years of journey here's all the things that I did that really made me not necessarily happy but made me come alive mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and here's the things that really took away from that that almost propelled me back into that down state where I didn't want to be so if I could focus on more of the things that make me come alive and let's write that out on a piece of paper let's draw that out on a whiteboard now maybe we could see a a common denominator and we can develop a framework around that and then create a message and a mission statement around that. And so I love it because that's what you did. And you didn't say, oh, I, I knew this when I was 12 years yeah. old, that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to have yeah. this ecosystem. So I think that that's so powerful. Talk to me about relationships because you've said that you've done a lot on your own, but was there ever a time that like you feel like you would not have gotten through outside of maybe your marriage at that time? Was there ever a mentor? Was there a mastermind or something like that that you were able to tap into that really helped to propel you and get you to this point? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, I yeah, yeah, ultimately, if we fight the battles within our own mind, but 
having that support structure is a game changer. I mean, I've had mentors from, like I mentioned, Jack Canfield. He was a huge mentor of mine, navigating my own stuff. Also helped me with, right, with the book process, writing like, you know, how to, how to write a better book. So I'll always, I'm always looking to partner with people, always finding. I, to this day, I have a business mentor. This dude's built like $250 million companies in Silicon Valley. Brilliant at what he does. So he's helping me build what, I don't know how to build an empire, man. I have no clue, you know? Right, so right, right. He, he's helping me do that. I have a partner who's drawing the, 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 the art for clo- uh, the, for the Fearvana clothing line. I have a partner who's, we're launching a like Fearvana podcast. I have another partner who's, uh, who's helping the, create the, the, the gamification platform we're creating for the Fearvana journeys platform. So I'm a big into partnering with people because, I mean, success is a team sport, you know, and nobody does it alone. So always be looking for who can, how can I partner with somebody who's way smarter than me at what they do? Like if you look at even Branson, Branson is Richard Branson's done this brilliantly with Virgin. Like he's the face of the brand. He's out there doing crazy stuff. He's this awesome personality. But most of Virgin, he doesn't own. He doesn't like he licenses the name. So that's kind of the model. I want to follow being this dude doing crazy shit all over the world, you know, like doing what I love and then being the face of the brand. Cause I love doing this kind of thing, being on podcasts with you, you know, talking, being the face, doing these crazy things and then partnering with people who are way smarter than me at what they do to help ultimately reach more people. So I constantly have mentors, constantly have uh, partners like to this day, you know, from, from the get go buddies of mine in the Marines who helped me get through hard times. Always, you know, it's always about doing things together. Talk to me about, though, you've mentioned some really big names of people that you've had, in particular, Jack Canfield. And I'm a huge fan of Jack Canfield. The Success Principles is one of the books that I read um, that really helped to formulate in my mindset that anything was possible. And what's funny is we've been looking at trying to bring Jack Canfield on the show, but that's for a whole nother conversation. (laughs) But my, my question to you is, Many people would love to have a mentor, maybe on the same level, maybe not just Jack Canfield, but somebody like that. How do you approach someone like that? Is there a strategic way that you would say that someone can go out and get somebody of that magnitude? You know, the one, the sort of the most obvious way is invest in their programs and services. Like that's the, the most obvious, right? Okay, let's say, let's say you can't. Like that's what, what Jack I did. Uh, and it was a hard stretch, but I did and then, you know, connected. But I have other mentors that I haven't invested in their stuff, you know. So another way is, is, is reaching out to people asking a simple question shoot a personal video for them. Like that shooting personal videos for people has been a game changer. That's how I got an endorsement from the Dalai Lama, from people like Keith Ferrazzi, Marshall Goldsmith, like New York Times bestselling authors, you know, Seth Godin, many amazing people who I admire who've made a huge impact in my life. I shot them a personal video sharing my story and just asking them like, you know, so shoot a personal video for somebody or reach out to them. Because people, if, if they're out there, like someone like me, someone like you, we want to help others. We want right. to help. Now, granted, right. everybody has a limitation, but if you reach out, ask a question and they say something to you, Go do it. Go do it. This is like the m- number one thing is be so, and I love this quote from Steve Martin and then Cal Newport wrote a good a book about it. Be so good they can't ignore you. Hmm. Be so good they cannot ignore you. When right. you do that, people will start to come on board. People, like I didn't start off with this platform now. Like you said, you heard me on some show, saw me on media. But when I started off, I mean, I had just come out of the verge of suicide. No platform, nothing, unknown, man. Like no, I, even when I reached out to Dalai Lama, I thought, who am I? Like I was a nobody. Like why, why would he endorse my book? Nobody knew my name at this point, you know? Right. So, but you start somewhere. So reach out to one person. It doesn't have to be like the most famous, whoever in your field off the bat, but reach out to somebody who's one step ahead of you. Once you get there, then connect with them, learn some stuff. They reach out to somebody two steps ahead of you show that you are going to take action. It's easy to like reach out, but the hard part is the, the, the taking the action. You've got to go out there and prove that you are worthy 
off that off that mentorship. Like the so, guy who's who's supporting me, yeah. the guy who's supporting me. I mean, he's just a mentor. I'm not like I never hired a service. He actually read Fearvana, invited me to go speak at one of his high end luxury retreats that he did in Hawaii. Loved uh, like what I'm doing with Fearvana, and I asked him. I was like, "Can you mentor me?" He's like, "Dude, I would be, I would love to. It would be an honor." So now we do one one call every two weeks because he read Fearvana, saw that I'm living this message, saw that I'm out there fighting. He deemed me worthy of his time to mentor. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, I love it. And the reason why I wanted to ask that is because that's the big word that everybody's talking about nowadays, right? It starts, people would love to have Gary Vee mentor them yeah. or all these big <laughs> names, right? But then people struggle with figuring out how do I stand out in a world where everybody's trying to fit in. And I feel like, just like you, I don't have a platform, right? I don't have anything to bring to the table and I don't have any money to invest into their programs. So it's like, and I love that approach that you said is like, just ask them a question. And I first heard about this, which is a couple of years ago when I read Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. Yeah. Uh, right. And he talks about that, like, make it a challenge, embrace the fear of trying to go get someone that's way bigger than you could have ever imagined. Yeah. And just ask them a question. You can't go in with the pitch off the top, just like you, but just bring something to say, hey, here's how you changed my life. I've read your exactly. book. I've done a blog post about it. I've made a podcast post about it. I made a YouTube video about it. These are all the ways that you've had an impact yeah. on me. I would like to go deeper in this and I would love to get your perspective on on X, Y, or Z, would you be one willing to come on to the show and just share? Yeah. Or two, can you just give me an answer? And I would love to maybe, you know, piggyback off of that. And a lot of the times, just like you said, so many people, they want to help like you and I, right? I don't, I tell people all the time when they ask about the podcast, I've not gotten $1, one sponsorship from this podcast. Mm. I have bootstrapped my way. And mm. yes, uh, just like you said in the beginning of the episode, a lot of that could be on me, right? Because I haven't went out and asked for it, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and yeah. I haven't felt the real need or anything to try to go out there and get all these sponsors. Right now, I just love being able to give back to my tribe love in it. the way that I'm doing it. Will it change down the line? Maybe, but right now I'm having a lot of fun. And so adding yeah. that value is, is amazing. I love that yeah. you brought that up, man. Yeah, no, love that. And I love to your point about like, yeah, show them how they've made an impact in your life. Like the videos I shoot, I tell them how they've specifically made an impact in my life, you know, and that makes makes a big difference because I don't care who you are. We all like to be acknowledged. Right. Like we live in a very under acknowledged world. You know, people don't say thank you enough. I, I so one of my friends told me that or I can't remember where I heard this, but like that Oprah, even after you know, because when she had the book club, anybody she promotes, they would blow up, right? Right. She said something about somebody had heard somewhere that she rarely, if ever, got a thank you. Can you imagine that? Like, like that they don't right. actually acknowledge gratitude. Like, <laughs> and so just say to say to somebody, thank you. I mean, right. we don't acknowledge ourselves enough. We don't acknowledge others enough. We generally live in a very under acknowledged world. So just Absolutely. thank somebody. I mean, even with the with the media that I got, a lot of times I would reach out to a journalist and just be like, dude, thank you for this article. Like this article was awesome. I really appreciate what you do, what what you're doing, and because it, it takes work to write an article. Like, it does. I can tell you how many, how 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 appreciative they were just to getting that thank you. And then often that led to a relationship. Often then they were like, hey, can I write about you? I was like, yeah, we're done. And you know, I'm not saying I started off with that intention, but the point is just saying a thank you makes a difference. Man, 
I love it. You're dropping so much value. <laughs> and many people need to hear that. Those are the things that get overlooked, right? We all want the end result, but oh, yeah. <laughs> putting in the hard work, that discipline. And what I ultimately, I heard a lot of creating the habits, right? Just like you said, with that morning routine, mm-hmm. if you can create a habit of just one small thing, it snowballs into momentum, mm-hmm. which at the end of the day, once you just keep going and going, like when people run marathons, and obviously you could speak a lot more to this, but when you run 50 miles, for you to think in the beginning, I'm going to run 50 yeah. miles, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There's yeah. a lot of like, just, I don't even want to do this. <laughs> like, I don't want to. But then you start out and you're not thinking about 50 miles. You're thinking, okay, I got to run a block. Let me run another three blocks. Okay, I, now I've just passed a mile. Now I've exactly. just passed seven miles. And before you know it, it's hard to quit because you've built that momentum. And now you're at mile 37 and you're like, okay, now I only got 13 a, miles yeah. left. Yeah. How can exactly. I quit on myself? Exactly. Momentum. Momentum creates mastery, man. You got to build that momentum. And it is hard. You're going to go through low moments. Sometimes you're going to go through moments where nothing's working out, but you got to keep fighting. That's why you got to fall in love with the process of the fight, not just the result. Like fall in love with the battle, fall in love with the process, you know? And it's and it's far from easy. Nobody's like, don't pretend, nobody's, anybody, and there is a lot of stuff out there promising the easy way. It'll just be magical right. sometime, but it's not easy. And that's not yeah. a bad thing though. It's the old, it's the greater the struggle, the greater the reward. You know, the best things I've done in my life were brutally hard, brutally hard. <laughs> yeah, but when you invest your time, your energy, even your money into it, you have that much more of an appreciation exactly. for it, right? Absolutely. Like through this, again, I, I tell people all the time with this podcast, like I never thought in the beginning, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to do 150 episodes, 250 episodes, yeah. like, and I'm not there yet, but I started out with just one episode, yeah. but now I have so much more appreciation of it. So when people ask me about podcasts, I'm like, yeah, you got to go a long journey. Like I've been doing this for over a year now and I get wow. many people on the show that have been doing it for three years, four years, five years, six years. And so you have an appreciation. There's somebody out there right now that's listening. They're inspired. You know, maybe they are dealing with something right now that is PTSD like, right. And, but they have that little voice in their head and that little voice in their head says that they're not strong enough. They're not smart enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. Tell me what is the one thing that you would Mm. say to that person to get them to just take action Hmm. is reframing that little voice in your head from saying that, okay, I'm not, I'm not good enough, right. Or whatever it may be. I'm not good enough at X, Y, Z is okay, cool. I'm not good enough yet. So the, the, the mindset is, I always like to say there's no such thing as good or bad or strong or weak. We always say I'm bad at this. I'm weak at this. I suck at this. Instead say, you know what? I'm just untrained. So it's not good or bad or strong or weak. It's only trained or untrained. So if you say, you know what? I'm not good enough. I, I, let's say somebody wants to write a book, right? I, I've, I've never written a book. I'm not good enough. I don't know how to write a book. Okay, cool. I'm just untrained. I'm untrained at writing. When you do that, when you reframe it to untrained, now it's about training. Now you start right. in, you, now you start putting it in a growth mindset. There's a lot of things I am far from like, I'm quote unquote weak at, but I'm just saying like, like even for example, squats, right? Like I have a gym, that's one point in my gym. I have a gym right there because uh, I spend more time running. So I don't do enough squats. So my squats are not the strongest as they could be. So I'm always, instead of saying, you know what? I suck at this and beat myself up. I'm just untrained. Cool. I'm untrained. It. What do I got to do? I got to go train. That's that's and then when then whatever the thing is, then train, take one step, find somebody else who's done it, find what they've doing, take take one step, like find out how they did it, write one page if that's your thing, you know, whatever, like whatever the thing is, go do that one thing, take one step, and it's gonna be hard, but you got like if there's one 
fundamental thing, the most important skill to master is to develop a positive relationship to the experience of struggle, to develop a positive relationship to suffering. I, like in my, in Firavana world, I call it, I say suffer well, to learn how to suffer well, like suffer with a smile on your face. Because yeah. that's, that's the thing. You can hear a podcast, you can read a book, it's going to provide a spark, you might get inspired, but nothing is going to take away from the fact that you're going to have to get onto the battlefield and you're going to have to suffer. Nothing can take away. You can't like nobody can do those things for you. You know, I think it was Jim Rohn or somebody said who you can't nobody can do your push-ups for you. Right. Like, you can get the spark, but you got to go do those push-ups, right? So you got to go do it and and take those small steps and frame it in your mind as okay, cool. Like whatever the voice is there, if you feel that negative voice, remember you're not that voice. Quick story about that too. Sorry, I'm uh, get yeah, fired I love up. But... <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I'm loving it. <laughs> when I when I reached out to the Dalai Lama, right? Like I again, I was unknown, right? And so it took me five months to building a relationship with a particular monk in the in the office there. And every time I reach out. I, I didn't get an email back two weeks, three weeks. I don't get an email back. So in my mind, I'm like, you know, shit, they hate me. They, they probably think my book is garbage. Why would they write to me? Who am I? All that good stuff we're all familiar with, right? That, right. that inner voice of self-doubt. And I said, all right, cool. That voice is there, but I don't have to be defined by that voice. Let me follow up anyway. Let me check in anyway. Because that stuff, when some, like as a small example, when somebody doesn't write, like let's say you, re you reach out to somebody who's a mentor and they don't write you back. In yeah. our mind, we think they probably hate us. They're ignoring me. It's 99.999% of the time, it's never that. Right. It's just busy, exactly. whatever. Like it's got nothing to do with you. But we do that. Like it's a cognitive bias. We, we, we spotlight effect, right? Everything is about us. And, and it's normal, but it's not. So you just have to recognize that thought is there. Don't be defined of it. Don't be defined by it. And then keep training. Step forward anyway, and don't let that voice define you. Wow. So tell us, how did it play out? So you, because I, I want to know the rest of this story. Yeah. You kept writing. So, <laughs> so I kept writing, kept writing. And even when I first, just on the, even coming back before that, like when I first had the idea, because Firvana is a very spiritual concept. So I thought, you know, who's the sort of spiritual leader to kind of validate this, to give, endorse this concept as a Dalai Lama. And then immediately I was like, there's no way, like, who am I? And I kind of shut that thought down. Yeah. And then later on, so so because people often ask me, how did you make it happen? And I'll say, I asked. And they're like, huh, I never thought to ask. You know what I mean? Like, right, I right, never right. thought to ask. And I get it because I was about to not ask. And then I was like, all right, you know, what's what's the worst that could happen? If I, I ask and they say no, the result is I'm exactly where I was anyway. So who cares? Right, what's right. the worst? So I reached out. I shot a personal video connected to like one month, another month, three months. So three months later, finally found the right person, built a relationship, five, five, six months, going through this process, navigating the doubt. And then finally, after five, six months of building a relationship with this particular monk there, he wrote me back and he said, word for word, considering everything you've been through and your genuine desire to serve, I'll press your case. And when he said that, a few like a few weeks later or whatever, I ended up getting a beautiful letter in the mail with his holiness, a seal and a signature. And, they, and the Dalai Lama ended up writing the foreword for my book. I didn't even ask for a forward. I just asked for a one-line endorsement and he wrote the forward for my book, which wow. I mean, personally, it just on a personal level, it's just so humbling, just a huge honor, obviously just spiritually fulfilling for me. And right. obviously on a marketing level for the book, game changer, right? Right. Game right. changer. So, I mean, but I had to ask, I had to fight my thoughts. It wasn't a smooth ride. It took a lot to make that happen. And it's Man. been, it's allowed me to help more people because not only through the book, but even the profits are all going to charity. So we're helping a lot of people through that, you know? Man, that's so dope. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you off the air because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Uh, but you definitely just inspired me to go reach out to somebody who awesome. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'll be honest, for me, the, even having you on the show, like we've always reached 
reached for the stars, right? Mm. And and people who look at this and they say, man, you've had really big name guests on mm. your show. But even from day one, I tell people all the time, like, that was what my mindset was. I had no, like, I wanted the best of the best of the best. I wanted the Akshays to come on the show. Because if you, again, if I would reach down, if I didn't set my goals to 10x, right, then I'll never know what I can achieve. And the amount Love of that. people that we've already gotten to say yes, just like you, I mean, it's ridiculous. And it's just really fun because you know that this world is all about relationships. And if you're yeah. doing it the right way, and if you're authentic, eventually it will all play out in your favor. Will Absolutely. there be losses? Absolutely. Will people yeah. just say no? Absolutely. But then that just means that those people weren't meant for you anyway. Absolutely. Right. And it's okay because there's 7 billion people yeah. in the world. Right. <laughs> if even a hundred of them tell you no, there's there's a hundred thousand yeah. other people who are just as valuable and would love to build a relationship with yeah. you. So the last question that I have, and I'm excited to hear your answer on this one, is what does having a dream mean to you? Wow, beautiful question. I think having a dream gives your life meaning. It gives purpose to this existence on our planet. You know, I don't think we are born with inherent meaning. We create it over time. Like there's no, to me, there's no inherent self-defined. There's a self that must be created. We create it in this battle that I keep talking about, the relentless battleground of life. And so having a dream gives you a reason to wake up in the morning. It gives meaning to this, to this existence, to the purpose, to the things we do. And it gives, it, it gives meaning to the suffering as well. And I think this is probably the best the best way to answer it is that, you know, in, in life, we look at like, especially in modern Western culture, we talk about the pursuit of happiness, right? right? Pursuit of happiness is in the Bill of Rights or whatever. And I think that's a deeply flawed concept because when you pursue happiness, then suffering becomes a barrier on the way to that happiness. Mm. But if you pursue meaning, if you pursue, in my words, I call it a worthy struggle, like that's your path. If you pursue your dream, if you pursue a meaning, pursue a worthy struggle, then suffering is no longer an impediment. It's no longer a barrier to the thing that you're attaining. It's right. a part of the journey. It's a part of the adventure. When I have my dream, I don't expect suffering to go away because I, in fact, not only do I not expect it to go away, I seek it. Like nobody's right. running 50 miles around a damn cul-de-sac if you're not expecting to suffer. You know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> so you seek it and building a business, you know, it's nothing easy about it. So right. having the dream makes everything worthwhile. It gives meaning to the suffering. It gives meaning to the pain. It gives meaning to joy. It gives meaning to all of it. So it's not about pursuing happiness. It's about pursuing that dream, pursue meaning, pursuing your worthy struggle. And that's what makes this grand adventure all worthwhile through the highs and the lows. Man, I love it. I love that you said that. Well, for anybody out there that wants to stay connected with you, and I'm sure there is going to be thousands and tens of thousands as this episode is continuously watched, and it definitely is one of my favorite episodes that I've done. Thank you, my friend. I'm Where hard. can they find you at? You can find me at fearvana.com. It's F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A, fearvana.com. And the book is available on Amazon in Audible, Kindle, paperback. And as I mentioned, all the profits go to charity. We supported some beautiful causes like these young girls who are victims of sex trafficking in India to former child soldiers in West Africa to some beautiful, powerful causes. So all the profits go to charity as well. Definitely. Well, I'll be grabbing me a copy. You can bet that. But thank, you, thank you again, my brother. It has been a phenomenal experience. We look forward to watching your growth, your journey, listening to your podcast and learning so much more wisdom from you in the future. And hopefully we look forward to getting you back on the show again, which I know that the second conversation will be that much better than the first. So thank you again. And remember Dream Nation in the dream we trust. But just as he said, we must embrace the fear and take action Otherwise, it will only merely be a fantasy. We'll catch you on the next one. 
That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.